Yeah! Hello and howdy. Thank you for joining us in the inaugural edition of Canon Stats Podcast. Um, what I'm sure will be known as the world's greatest Arsenal Analytics podcast before too long. Um, we have a, an exciting show lined up for you today, talking about squad building philosophy, some transfer links, and a look ahead to the, the North London Derby. Uh, I am joined, as always, or what I plan on being always, uh, Adam. Adam, welcome. Hello, hello. I will try my best not to mess this whole thing up so that it is always Scott. Yeah, you know what? This is this is take two for people that aren't aren't knowing this, but you know, this isn't. It's going to be. We're going to hide that behind, um, you know, the the recording process and not go into that. This is the the section that I have marked as banter. So we got to work on that until we can get up to the arse cast level, right? <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever get there. I mean, that's going to take a lot of practice. But you know, we were discussing the snow off camera, off recording, um, and that was some pretty. You have snow. That was some pretty good stuff. Yes, especially for me as a Midwesterner, I absolutely have to uh, discuss my snow situation at all times. So I should have, you know, sent you. You got a, you got a snowblower. I should have sent you a question on recommendations as I was looking for those. I have a snowblower that currently needs repair, which means that uh, when we got twelve inches uh, uh, overnight, like on Monday or Tuesday, I got to whip out the shovel and just, you know, basically threaten my back and my heart with all kinds of. Uh, strenuous activity because i am not that guy who's who's uh, gonna go shovel snow like a boss That's not yeah I, I had that same thing where i had 13 inches of it's what they call the sierra cement it was stuff that was very heavy in water content so it was mm-hmm. yeah wonderful and then i had a, a snow plow come through early in the morning the next day when we were getting ready to go so i got to then deal with the frozen stuff that was burned <laughs> up in front of my driveway so it was all sorts of fun on new year's well i spent all of new year's dug in but you know the the week after new year's has been fun dealing with all that stuff so um is that enough banter should we should we move on to the the big stuff that we're, we're here to talk about everybody that's listening to this is like just get to the arsenal man <laughs> um yeah so what we're going to talk about today is uh, an article that i absolutely loved that you wrote earlier this week and i'm going to steal the the title of this podcast from here and it's basically where do we go from here and I think one of the, the main premise of your article is that Arsenal had a plan, and it seems like we're ahead of schedule. So why don't you kind of talk through a little bit where, you, where your thoughts are on what, you know, how we got here. What, how did we get to this point in yeah. the process? Well, it, and that was, that was kind of the inspiration of it is because, you know, for, um, for how much fun this entire season has been, the question that you really start to ask uh Basically, you know, after like a week of a transfer window being shut, as you say, well, what's what comes next? What comes in the next window? Mm-hmm. Um, we've definitely been in a, a very unique situation um, this season, in, in my opinion, where uh, I would say really unlike any other transfer window, including the January windows where Mikel Arteta has been in charge. Um, I don't know that there's really an obvious an obvious replacement in the starting 11. Um, there's not... There's not somebody who I would say is like a super obvious weak link. Obviously, you look back to last season, striker desperately. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you know, I I said a couple times during last season that I thought Kieran Tierney um, would be somebody who would need to be upgraded upon. Uh, it seems like that did happen um, with Alexander Zinchenko certainly being like a, a real difference maker. But now, I mean, you look at that back four. You look at Partey, Xhaka, and Odegaard in the midfield. 
and you look at the front three and you say, well, is anybody going to come in that could start um, for those yeah, guys? Not anyway, right? I don't think there's anything close to like where we think there is. I think if you're going to look at any position, maybe Granite Jacket. Um, I think you know he maybe has come off a little bit of his early highs. Maybe there's some film on him now, and teams aren't um, surprised by what he's doing. But I don't mm-hmm. think there's a January signing that's going to come in and necessarily slot right back into that and be better than him. So yeah, I totally agree. I don't think there's a obvious weakness in the first 11 and you and even beyond january and that's kind of where where this article starts is um as you know regardless of of the result of the season if they if they are title winners um it seems mathematically very likely that the champions league is happening at this point it would take a real collapse probably uh risking uh, some jobs in, in the process uh for them not to make the champions league so if if you go into the off season with this 11 nobody's on an expiring contract um we have a couple 2024 expirings but um you know uh Bukayo Saka certainly you're looking at extending him I think his his option actually went to 2025 and I think it's the same for Saliba now yeah I think but, they both um, had the, they had, they both were at that but they they triggered the release or the the extensions the team options so the only one that I'm aware of, actively aware of, in the starting eleven, which is basically set in stone this season, is Granite Jacka as a 2024 expiration. And honestly, I wouldn't be shocked, just given his style of play, uh, not being super athletic. You might not necessarily worry about him really breaking down physically, um, and also him just maybe being one of the easier uh, positions to add depth in. Uh, there are a lot of a lot more talented eights out there than there are, for example, like a left-footed right winger. So uh, you you just like you're like okay, well, well, who who could we even bring in? Uh, there's not like a, a superstar where we're like this guy is exactly what Arsenal need, uh, and he would he would immediately come in and he would start and he would be like uh, you know like a huge savior to the club, just like Jesus was and, and Zinchenko was, and going back uh, the season prior, Ben White, Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, these guys are all coming in um, for, you know, they're expensive transfers, but they're all coming in either as starters or what was Ramsdale starter after the fourth game? Exactly right, yeah. So, I mean, He's obviously... basically the starter in all things, but we're going to keep Bryn Leno's kind of ego kind of, you know, in check. Yeah, well, well and... And, you know, I, I get responses like this all the time. Well, he was brought in to be competition. No, no, he wasn't. He was not brought in to be competition. He was brought in to take Bern Leno's job. Um, and, and in my opinion, much the same way that Zinchenko was taken and uh, brought in to take away Kieran Tierney's job. And when he has been fit, he has started every single time. And I think that is probably the dynamic moving forward, save for, you know, a massive dip in form. Um, so, so... All that in mind, the, the conversation kind of goes, well, okay, so you'd love to go out and get like a profile like Rafael Leao, who's who's an absolute star in Italy. Um, is he the type of player who can come in and add to the to the current team? Um, is is it Declan Rice? Right? These are these are the names that the fans absolutely love to link to Arsenal. And why not? Because they're they're great. Um, they're going to be very splashy transfers, and obviously they would they would quite literally raise the level of the team, uh, regardless of what their role is. But I just, when I, when I sat down to write this piece, I just kind of thought, well, what, what does this roadmap actually look like? Are these the type of guys who could get brought in? Um, and I think from there, I just wanted to really divide it into a couple different, um, you know, more or less realistic options. One being kind of what I called like the win at all costs method, um, which we haven't seen KSE really do. 
at all with Arsenal. Um, certainly, that's something that you... even with some of their other teams, they haven't done that to a certain extent. They might have done something with the Rams that are similar to that, right? Where last year yeah. they they were hosting the Super Bowl, they had a team that was you know on the cusp of being able to be there, and they pulled the trigger and brought in some some kind of things. But yeah, that's not their normal mo, right? It's not. It's not really their. I mean, they're not. They are they are primarily owners in salary capped leagues with salary floors and revenue sharing, uh, redistribution, all the sort of all these sort of things that make it a little bit more difficult to actually draw like a one to one comparison. At least with Todd Bowley, you could say, well, he owns the Dodgers, um, and the Dodgers are not in a salary capped league. You can have quite literally a, a massive uh, gulf in terms of spending between you know like the New York Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and that's not, that's more comparable to the Premier League or really any or soccer the league outside of MLS. Else, right? Yeah, <laughs> not that I follow baseball that closely, but yeah, the Mets have spent just a ton of money in. So, so you're not going to get in those situations where like the LA Rams are are signing players for five hundred million dollars guaranteed, and then uh, you know my lowly Minnesota Vikings are spending fifty or something like that. Um, so it's it is a little bit different. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have always paid really close attention to what the, what kind of things they say in public when they announce their financial results. They did mention wanting to be a self-sustaining type of uh, type of operation. Yeah, I don't that was think... in the, the last financial report stuff that came out on Arsenal.com, right? They have, like, the, the little blurbs from there, right? Yep, they had the little blurbs, uh, and it said, it said, you know, that they wanted to achieve a return to Europe as kind of the baseline to become a self-sustaining operation again. Now, whether they will be literally self-sustaining or, or might require an occasional little injection of funds from, from uh, Papa Stan is obviously, we will, we, that, that remains to be seen. Um, and it's something that I don't necessarily know that you can do in a very pure way and still be a top four contender every season. So we'll see how that actually shakes out. Um, if if they do go self-sustaining, the point that I was making was, um, you know, we, we took all of this time, did all these deep cuts. Um, and frankly, I mean, we, we, we could have gotten better faster, probably at least more competitive faster by taking a different route to where they went. But they were very intentional about, you know, we need these wages off the books. And that's step one. Um, you look at players like, you know, Sayad, Kalazinac, Willian, um, just guys leaving for basically nothing or maybe a couple million. Burned Leno only ended up leaving for, what is it, like five guaranteed? And if they stay up, they get another three uh, Pablo Mari, the best case scenario, I think, is they get nine million for him. So it's they're basically taking like L's on all of these players just to to trim the wage bill. Yeah. And the argument that I'm making in the piece is that it's not just so that they can refill that with better players. I mean, that's part of it, but they're not going to cut twenty million pounds off the bill so that they can go give twenty million to another player today. The idea is more that. Um, we have a number of players now because so many bets have hit uh, that came in on much lower wages. Even even the high end wages of what I would call like phase one of the project would be Ben White on about 120k a week. That's not a very high wage for Arsenal. I mean, in fact, um, going back a couple seasons ago, I think he wouldn't have even been in the top five. So uh, there, there's going to need to be some room to give some players uh, more and more and more money. A player like Bukayo Saka is going to probably see his wages uh, quintupled. Uh, William Saliba has probably doubled or tripled. G- uh, Gabriel Martinelli's probably doubled. So we're going to backfill a lot of that space once we give all of these guys um, extensions. And then you've got 
you know, guys who are just a year or two away, Ben White, uh, Aaron Ramsdale has certainly come up in the athletic as somebody who, who's going to get a raise in an extension. And uh, I would definitely put Odegaard on that list as well. So if I think that's something that as we because I think, you know, kind of going through thinking about what this plan was like, the, the, and I think this is a very thought out methodical plan, right? We saw so much of we tried to do a quick fixes. We tried to just bring in players that could push the team to try to quickly get back into the Champions League. And we saw that, you know, that isn't always an easy or quick way to do it. It's very easy to make a mistake and have things blow up on you. And in the Premier League, where there's basically six teams now, maybe seven teams that are vying for these four spots, if you if you fail, that can become expensive very fast. So I think Arsenal made a, a very you know, uh, pointed effort to, we're going to go methodical, we're going to build from young players with promise in front of them, and this isn't going to be a one-year kind of thing. And now we're kind of at that point where it's kind of paying off for us. And Yeah, and exactly. And and a big part of that is what is the mindset of ownership? Because if you if you bring in a player, um, let's just say hypothetically, you bring in a 100 million pound striker and that player doesn't perform up to expectations, he doesn't fulfill you know, the role that a 100 million pound striker should. Uh, there are basically two ways to go about it. You can just replace him and hope for the best on the back end with him. Or you can say... Um, and here's this is more the KSE Arsenal approach. We need to get rid of this guy and get this guy's money off of our books before we can do anything. Uh, we saw that with Aubameyang and Lacazette. I mean, Arsenal literally wanted but were unable to pursue Tammy Abraham at all uh, 18 months ago because they needed to get rid of somebody first and they couldn't. Um, so I think that that unwillingness to hold the bag on the failed transfers is a really big part of this too, a really big part of the thinking, because if you bring in a player on a low wage, even if he doesn't work out, right, he's an Arsenal reject, but if he's on a low wage, um, you can find somebody from another club who can take that player based on the promise that attracted Arsenal in the first place. Sometimes players just don't fit in, um, whether it's a system thing, whether they don't work in London, what have you, maybe they're too far from home, um, Maybe they just clash with the manager. There's all kinds of reasons, so you can still move those guys on. Now, if, exactly if right. you can, you can absolutely nail the talent ID portion and still have something not work, right? I think that's one of the things yeah. that people kind of overlook and that how risky transfers are. Like, you can nail everything, and maybe the guy just doesn't fit right. Like, it's like absolutely nothing that you can know beforehand. It's really there's just so many variables in that you know making a transfer. It's so it's just so easy to mess it up. If if everybody could just fit at anywhere like a puzzle piece, I mean, they you would not have players go and fail for one club and then go transfer somewhere else and be great. It just wouldn't happen. So this is uh, this is it's a real risk every time you bring a player in. The beauty of what KSE and, and, and Arteta and Adu set out to do is well, if if Ramsdale Ramsdale might be a bad example because he was a pretty high fee, but if you look at okay, here's a better one, Martin Odegaard. If he didn't work out it would be a lot easier to move on from him than it would have if they had signed James Madison instead. Um, James Madison would have been double the fee and probably a significant step up on the wages too, just having been in the Premier League for a number of years at that point. So 
um, right? And I think he's already on like a pretty big wage. And you think you would need to. One of the things that kind of scales with it is like as the transfer fee goes up, the expectations of the fee or the wages also go up too, right? And so you're already starting from that baseline of a high Premier League wage, and you're moving for a big fee. So there's going to be that big expectation of I'm getting a bump too. And it's like otherwise, like what else? Why would he leave Leicester too if you're not going to you know increase his pay? So yeah, I think that one definitely came with a, a lot more risk and I think kind of a, a, a bullet dodged. Yeah, I think, I mean, as, as great as the player is uh, in James Madison, I mean, you, it would be very hard to argue that wages plus transfer fee, Martin Odegaard, was not 100% the correct move. Um, so credit to everybody who, who made that happen. Um, so if, if this is the philosophy, right, if, if we are not willing to spend our way out of mistakes, um, what does that look like? Well, um, for me, I think it looks a lot like what, Arsenal are trying to pull off right now with Mikhailo Mudrik. Obviously, it's a very high transfer wage, mm-hmm. but at Shakhtar Donetsk, he is not going to be um, a James Madison high earner, right? You, if you are if you are getting young talent who have not had a big contract yet, not Joao Fe- not Joao Felix, but rather uh, Mudrik, who I th- it was a couple of years ago, the average wage at Shakhtar was like thirteen thousand euros a week. I mean, that is nothing compared to what players make in England. You could you could quadruple, quintuple, sextuple this guy's wages, and he would still be um, a very low-ranking earner at your club. So Yeah, I mean, that, look, he might even be a, a low earner at, like, a championship club. Like, you know, not to, like, you know, make, you know, feel bad about the, the Ukrainian league, but it's just, yeah, the, the money difference between the leagues is astronomical. Yeah, it's just a reality. I mean, Cody Gakpo moved to Liverpool, and the reports were there that they were giving him one hundred twenty thousand pounds a week. Um, you know, I think they, I think that if I remember what he was making at PSV, that's they tripled his wage. And PSV is a pretty big club, and PSV is not. Uh, and also, besides tripling his wage, he had also um, just signed an extension too. So this was a wage that they gave him in recognition of being probably literally the most dominant player in the Eredivisie over the past year to year and a half. It's just a reality of football that some of these clubs do not make the money to casually give out these wages that others do. So this is kind of, I mean, this is kind of what I see going forward. The problem with the club is that there is not depth um, in at least, I mean, I, I put in the piece that probably five or six different starters, if they took a long-term injury or something else happened that affected their availability, that it could really affect the form of the club. I mean, it's pretty easy to identify where they are. Left center back, definitely. Defensive midfielder, most most certainly. Um, probably both wings at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Nketiah is making some people maybe reconsider whether striker is one of those spots. I think he's been one of the bright spots in the club overall in the last three games, for sure. Um, but, you know, we could probably use with another more advanced midfielder, more, more in the Jacker role, too. So, yeah, and I think if we're, if we're going to talk about like that, the the attacking group as a, a whole, I think if we had seen, say, like a, an injury to, you know, if it wasn't Jesus and say it was a Martinelli or a Saka, I think we would have seen potentially a Jesus go out to those wings and then, you know, yeah. an Eddie and Kedia kind of thing. So it's like we were, were definitely weak in that area, but it's not quite, you know, oh, we would be starting, you know, Marquinhos if, you know, you know right. one of those guys had gone out. More likely, yeah, more likely get now, Jesus. Right? Like, thinking wide. about it now with Jesus out for at least another month, I'm, you know, definitely worried about that position. But I think before a Jesus injury, I think, you know, the idea was, you know, Eddie is the next guy up, and then we, you know, kind of rejigger from there. 
and whether yeah whether Emil Smith Rowe eventually comes back as a as an attacker or a midfielder I mean we're gonna have to see uh, you know everybody there's everything from wing to false nine with him so you could see it going any any other any direction pretty much but yes. uh, you know one thing I encounter a lot uh, especially online I think Twitter is a little bit more of a more of a, a environment for things like this is that I think that the expectation a lot of the times is that okay. Arsenal need uh, to add a third wing attacker on top of Martinelli and Saka, somebody who can realistically give them a run for their money and maybe maybe steal some playing time from time to time. You know, he's actually he's an actual quality player, right? It's not it's not the leading scorer from like uh, a second tier club in Portugal who has all the potential in the world, but um, has never played at a high level or anything like that. It's not a real true prospect type of player. Um, so who, who would they sign? Well, if you ask a lot of fans, you're like, you're going to get answers back and it's going to be like Raphael Leal. Um, it's going to be the guys who are literally it's on everybody's wish list, right? I mean, if that move could happen, yeah. I don't think anybody would say no. Yeah. And, and when for, I, uh, Milan, right. Except for AC Milan. When I, when I come back at these people, I think, I think a lot of times that is the impression that they get is that I wouldn't want that player at the club and no that's absolutely not the case but there's a really really wide gulf between you know uh Nuno Tavares who was like basically a depth option at Benfica um who yeah, hadn't really the, the won that job that played right back or left back he, no he wasn't and he he was I mean he was a physical profile that got brought in on based on potential right that is a true prospect um, Albert Sandy Lakanga is maybe more of somebody who was like very dominant at a lower league, but still had a lot to prove. Um, but there's even between like Sandy Lakanga and somebody like Leao, there is a really big uh, uh, wealth of, of space in terms of like uh, relative ability and provenness and costs and all of those good things. So what I kind of foresee if KSC are really going for the self-sustaining model is, is kind of what you're seeing with Mudrick, where it's going to be a player who... Um, comes in on day one and no he's not better than Gabriel Martinelli um, maybe maybe he surprises um, and he is but I don't think that's the intention um, and, and sort of build better depth that way um, so you if you go out at DM um, you don't get Declan Rice who again is like the number one uh, option on, on everybody's lips at that position, you might get somebody who is like a 22, 23 year old guy who's played two seasons, three seasons in France or Germany or Spain, um, has a high high potential, maybe does cost a lot of money because he's very valuable to his club. He's a full-time starter, but he's never played in the Premier League. Um, and he, you know, you don't know that he will work out. And he's also making a big step up in terms of clubs. So he's willing to be kind of that like rotation, uh, substitute, uh, cup, and injury replacement for Thomas Partey. Whereas I think somebody like Declan Rice, um, is that going to make him want to join your club? Say, hey, come be our second guy. Uh, because I think, I mean, in, in my opinion, there are people who might scoff at this, but I think Thomas Partey is better than Declan Rice. In, in the present, certainly. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, he's over. He's over thirty now, or or he's going to be soon. Um, so maybe that won't be the case forever. But if you, like Rice, seventy, eighty million pound transfer, um, solid wage, like he's going to care about day one. He wants to come in and play. He's he plays. I, I looked him up one time. He plays like forty five games a season at, at uh, West Ham. So he's used to playing. I'm sure he wants to keep that up. 
Exactly. And I think basically what you're saying is that we're going to go get like Mo Kamara from Monaco or something like that. Is that kind of what I'm hearing here? We're about to get aggregated. It's a, you know, uh, Adam Vogue says, you know, we're, we're signing Mo Kamara from Monaco in the summer. I mean, I, I am a huge fan of his, so I would be okay with being the source of that. Um, he, yeah, he only just joined them, but I mean, he probably wouldn't be that expensive, right? And even if, I mean, even if you look at a player at that level, maybe he does cost 40 million pounds or, um, another name that Arsenal's been linked with before is, is Moises Caicedo from Brighton. Um, I think it would be super expensive in terms of fee to get out. Um, but if you ever look up the wage data on Brighton, they do not pay most of their players that much money. Uh, he would probably come in on a lower, lower wage than say like Benjamin White has, you know, you could get him probably in for under a hundred thousand pounds a week. Um, so literally half of what Declan Rice, if not even a smaller portion. Uh, yeah, I, I think, think that's where it starts to get interesting. It's going to be close to 200 grand a read. I don't think you're going to, it's going to be similar to party wages, right? Especially you consider, you know, he's English, his expectations for what you're trying to be able to do. Um, he's basically the, the guy in waiting. He might, you know, be looking to, push you know party i mean i don't think you sign a declan rice and you know say oh you're going to be our backup kind of a thing um before we move on i think there's one thing that i did want to touch on and i think you kind of brought it up earlier was the just kind of trying to find a replacement for you know say the a martinelli somebody who's better than them so in the my newsletter today i went and i pulled based on my attacking midfielder ratings um all of the under 25 guys and Basically, there's there's not a lot that are better than Saka and Martinelli. So Saka and Martinelli are ranked, um, let's see, uh, seventh and eighth of all under twenty five attacking midfielders um, in in Europe right now. So it's like trying to find a young person who still fits that role and who's better than them. It's basically impossible, right? It's like you got you got Jamal mm-hmm. Musa, you got Foden, you got Vinicius Junior, Rafael Liao, and then uh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to say this one very well, but uh, Cachavelia. I don't know how to say that one very well, but uh, from, from Napoli. That's why you just say Cabaradana. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, there's not really a, a good choice to really kind of, Yeah, so I think that's a, a thing where the club isn't going to necessarily be able to get somebody who's better than them. But, yes, I think we can mm-hmm. certainly get somebody who fits this team well, fits the age profile of where we want to be, and really kind of sets us up to be able to give those guys a, a better, you know, situation where they're not playing 90 minutes week in week out and be able to make them even better because the idea that you can make a substitute um it as a club at arsenal's revenue level size pull i mean like it or not we have not been in the champions league in six years uh you not have the revenue that these clubs that are in the Champions League every year do, at least not yet. So for a club like Arsenal to be able to bring in a backup um, and not drop at all, or at least not drop even like a noticeable noticeable amount, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily all that uh, realistic. You're going to have a drop-off from the starter to the backup. It's just, it's just how it is. Um, That's the reason why they're the backup. That's why they're the backup. That's why Kieran Tierney is the backup for Zinchenko, because Zinchenko... Uh, the team does better with Zinchenko on the pitch. They might have they might have different strengths, um, but they're still a backup. And and that's that's kind of that kind of brings me to where we are right now. Uh, it, we need to bring in somebody who could be a quality bench option right now. If you look at if you look at the last game against Newcastle, what attacker were they going to bring off the bench? 
uh, were they were they going to bring the the youth winger uh, Amario Cozier Dewberry off the bench for that? Uh, you just need to improve on that. That's that's where we are right now. It doesn't have to be the best U twenty five attacker in the world, especially if you can't even get that guy in the door. Which I've gone back and forth with so many people about Rafael Leao whether he could even come to Arsenal. I mean, sure, he would probably love to play for Arsenal, but he'd want to start, in my opinion. So you just need to improve on where you are now and then have the idea uh, moving forward be that this player is an improvement now, but he could get even better. And I think that's why that's why Mudrik is a guy that they're looking at because I don't think he's going to come in and be uh, a top winger in the Premier League right away, but maybe one day he can. And that's yeah. the idea. Yeah, so I think the the last thing is then where does that kind of leave us? Are we in a win now mode? So this is something that I've been kind of kicking around in my head is like how much of this window do you kind of put aside the project and just say, this is it, let's go for it kind of thing versus trying to continue with the plan of building for not just this year, but two or three years down the line as well. So where, where do you kind of land on that? I mean, if it were me, I would I would love love to see them go for it um, to win the to win the title. What now? Do I do I think that's what they're thinking? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I actually go that far. I think that um, I think that they will do everything in their power that fits the the mo um, to do that. Like I don't think that they're going to just cave and give the twenty mil to to Atletico Madrid, for example, to bring Felix in, like, I think they would still want a deal that, that works for them, that, you know, that fits whatever their, their uh, mental kind of, you know, criteria are. But I think, I think bringing in Felix to, uh, to be another attacking option when, when Jesus now maybe could be back at the end of February. um, I think that is kind of going for it as far as Arsenal are going to do. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of game theory that kind of goes along there too, right? If you kind of put in everything, teams know that. And when you go to make future negotiations, and if you don't hold the line ever, then you kind of end up like where Manchester United is right now, where everybody knows that they are going to add an extra 10, 15%, and that's how you get a hundred million you know, pounds for Antony, right? There's just, you got to eventually be able to say, mm-hmm. no, this is, this is my line. I'm not crossing it. So yeah, I think there's a finding that balance between, yeah, the window is open now. And I think that, you know, maybe there is certainly some funds if we are, you know, kind of allocating between January and, Jan- and June that, yeah, maybe you pull some funds in and try to make a move that you wouldn't have done if we were, you know, say on, you know, right at the, the fourth place battle. And I think there is something that you do there. So yeah, I think that's a, a good spot. You got any final thoughts here on, on the word we go from here? No, I mean, you know, I guess one one quick thing is I did have a section in there about Arsenal being a selling club, and if you're listening yes. to this and haven't haven't read that, um, I would well, I would take a look at it. it. It's it's gonna it's gonna be in the description in the notes. Yeah, you should you should definitely go and look at it because um, if you haven't already, because uh, that's one thing that when I when I sort of espouse this or when I try to explain this uh, this way of operating, a lot of people are like, oh, so we're just going to be a selling club, buying young players and selling them at a profit. Well, no, that's not. I mean, you don't have to be either full Bayern or full Dortmund. Like there, there are modes in between, right? So, so I would go check that out. Um, if I start talking about it, though, it's gonna, I'm going to take up another ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. So read about that. Yeah. No. So I don't think Arsenal are being a selling club in the sense that we are developing or we're becoming like a finishing school where we buy young prospects to sell them on. I think that 
we might be a selling club in the sense that we might actually be able to sell players versus having to let them go for free, though. Exactly. Yes, it would. Uh, that would <laughs> so, be, yeah, that we, would be we, nice. We might, be a sell, we might become a selling club rather than a we release players for nothing club. And that would be uh, that would be some welcome revenue. Speaking of revenue, that would be. I'm sure Stan and Josh would love uh, to be able to to get 20 million on a player leaving occasionally, if not more. Exactly right. Yeah, just to kind of balance the books a little bit, right? Kind of do a little bit of what you know Chelsea or Liverpool or even Spurs to a certain extent have been able to do. Like some guys that are just on the fringes, be able to sell them on. And I think that's something as the overall talent level goes on, people are more interested in you know going for your guys that are on your fringes. So I think that's a, a good spot to, to end that. It's a, a great discussion. Read the article. It's in the the show notes um, or the the article that's going to be accompanying this. Um, I think we'll we'll go next into to housekeeping. Um, if you're listening to this, you probably already do subscribe to the Substack. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, um, Facebook, and Instagram. All on uh, it's all under Canon Stats. So yeah, make sure to do that. And let's get into the next section, which is going to be uh, a little bit more of the transfer stuff. So there's some uh, Mudrick news that's just coming out, um, but we haven't. You know, we've both written quite extensively on here, but we haven't actually gotten on here and talked about him. So I just wanted to quickly kind of go through, what are your, what are your thoughts on the fit with uh, Mujerik and Arsenal? I actually think that the fit is really good. Um, yeah, he he, uh, he fits the the really dynamic, really um, really aggressive wing profile that, that Mikel Arteta seems to be really interested in. He's got uh, just really, really explosive athleticism. Um, and and Again, you know, you and I have both written on on him quite a bit. I mean, one of the one of the first things when I when I've scouted, when I've looked at his, uh, I don't know if you can call it scouting it, what I do, but when I watch his games, I, you know, he gets the ball and there's one place to go with it, and that is at the goal. Um, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of of like when we first brought Martinelli into the lineup, mm-hmm. um, where he was just, I mean, he's just a motor that runs at seven thousand RPM the whole time. Do people do they have RPM overseas? I don't know. Um, Wouldn't they? They just use different, you know, measures for you know. That's true. Revolution, revolution is is a revolution, right? Um, So he's just he's just like this kind of kind of just straight at the goal type of guy. Now, I think that one thing that would be a real improvement on early Martinelli with him is that he does he does pass the ball a lot better than Martinelli used to. Um, Martinelli has really raised his game as a passer a lot over the past couple seasons, but Mudrick would come in better than Martinelli did. Uh, in that in that perspective, so you know you look at him, you isolate, you want to isolate him out wide. Um, you want him to try to beat a man. I mean, he's got that short distance explosive that 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 um, acceleration, and obviously the top end pace is just crazy, um, and really makes a lot of people fall in love with him. Arsenal do not get a lot of top end acceleration opportunities. Um, I think over the past three games, we've seen Enkedia maybe have a couple. Um, probably literally two, but um, other than that, you know, maybe chasing a ball in behind as kind of an outlet um, would be really useful. Um, but you know, does... well, there was the the one that from the Odegaard Martinelli chance, like that's you know, yeah, but those ones really stick out as you know, oh, that's our our chance. But there isn't multiple chances necessarily per game um, for us to be able to do that. But I think yeah, so that. Yeah, I guess one of the things that I think is that I think he would still be good. He doesn't need 10 yards to be able to get up to full speed. He does seem quick over short distances as well. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he's got a very, very good acceleration. Um, You know, 
he's if he were to join Arsenal, he wouldn't spend a lot of time off ball. But uh, that that is one of my big uh, red flags with him is if you watch him defend, um, you watch him jog or even walk <laughs> a lot of the time he he is a pretty aggressive counter presser um if if he's chasing uh, an opponent with the ball in their own half i have seen him win a lot of balls back that way and kind of launch a counter attack on his own um so so he does seem to have a motor that i think he could use defensively and i don't know i don't know if his coach is telling him to save it um so that he can sprint past everybody once he gets the ball or if it's a personal choice but um that's something i think arteta would really have to bang on him about uh, once, once he joined, um, but, but I mean, you know, the fit, the fit is very good. It's just, it's all, I mean, I, I feel like everybody knows at this point, it's just all economical, right. With him. Yeah. And I, so, I mean, I, I still have a, a couple questions and I, I don't want to come across as like the guy that's like poo pooing this because like really like he is like, there's probably few players that are as exciting as him, especially like you, you watch, you know, the, the white scout videos of him and like, he really does just pop off the, the page. One of the things I guess that would be my list is how does he make the transition from being the guy to being just another guy? Because I think that's right. something, right? Like everything kind of like orbits around him at Shakhtar. And I don't think that would be necessarily the case if he comes to Arsenal. Um, then there's always the, well, he's doing this against players that are not as good as Premier League players, right? Even his Champions yeah. League stuff has been it's a very different style that they've played in the champions league. It's definitely, mm -hmm. you know, that's the, the counter sit deep and he has this, he looks to run into the space behind there. So like you look at his stats in the cha in the champions league and it's like a defensive winger and like that yeah. is again, hard to translate. So there's, it's, it's how much does this in the Ukrainian league transfer to the premier league? How does he transfer mm -hmm. from his role changing within the team doing those kinds of things. But I don't necessarily think that this is a, a talent problem per se. I think there is certainly how quick can he make an impact kind of a thing. So even if he is to come in in January, I don't know if it's realistic to expect him to be someone who comes in, you know, instantly and makes a huge, you know, impact. I think there's definitely going to be growing periods. Yeah. I mean, he might get us goals or something like that because, you know, he is obviously talented. Like his ball striking is something that's very good, both right and left foot being able to, to take shots. And I was looking yeah. at his shot accuracy and it's like, that is a uh, ridiculously good doing those kinds of things. So yeah, I'm excited definitely. for him, but I think there is that line in the sand. And I think that that brings us to the next question is where is it for you? Cause I think it's already kind of passed it for me, at least on the Gary, yeah. but where is it for you? <laughs> it's passed it for me too. Um, I, you know, people, people want to talk about, well, you know, you pay for the potential, you pay for the talent that you see when you watch him. And, you know, I, I just think that at some point you have to acknowledge that um, when you watch him in the champions league, you're watching such a negative uh, style of football that if he just gets the ball in his average position, I mean, he's going to have yards and yards and yards to run until he gets even into the final third and you know in a yeah, foot it's also going to be against a defense that's basically one against one at that point right because you know, yeah the teams have been pushing forward to try to break down that deep block he gets the ball in the outlet and it's going to be like a, a three on three or it's going to be a three on four kind of situation and that's significantly yep. different than you know going up against two guys that are keyed on you and my yeah, and my Canon stats piece uh, that I've written on him, I noted that Shakhtar took the fewest touches in the attacking third of any club in the Premier League group stages. Um, that includes like Maccabi Al Haifa, the Israeli club, um, that had a, a couple of shocking results. I think they beat Juventus, if I remember. But um, 
he but despite that despite all these these few attacking touches he did uh have the second most times being dispossessed of the ball i mean so this is this is like where you get kind of lost a little bit with him is okay he's playing against a higher quality of of players he's taking fewer touches but he's losing it a lot um and if you do have the wherewithal if you have the the subscription to to stats bomb or whatever you can go pull his ukrainian league stats and he does lead in turnovers there too he's in the bottom five percentile for turnovers and um you know like it or not i think i think the uefa coefficient says ukraine at 14th 14th in terms of that yeah it's 16 it's in that range it's the you know definitely one of the lower leagues it's it's so it's not it's not a quality league per se and that hasn't even adjusted yet for necessarily all the talent that is left in the last year you know due to the the russian invasion right because there's been so much foreign talent that's left that league and you know you definitely do not blame them but like that's something that takes some time to show up in the data yes it it does and and he he does happen to play for one of the clubs who are one of two clubs in ukraine who have won a league title in his lifetime he's he's more than 20 years old. So imagine the Premier League going 20 years with only Manchester City or Liverpool winning a title. That's what the Ukrainian League is. Um, it's it's a lot like the stranglehold Bayern Munich have on the Bundesliga. It's just it's it's either Shakhtar Donetsk or it's um, it is what is oh man I'm on the spot uh, Dynamo Kiev. They're the only ones who ever win the league. So you you don't you don't look at that and say wow there must be a lot of quality um, outside of those two clubs. So yeah, what's the the line the the number? You got a number that you feel comfortable. Yeah, with? I mean, I you know if if I were in a position where I felt like he really needed to come in in January, I mean, I personally am really comfortable with like a fifty million pound transfer for him. I think that reflects that he's probably the best the best prospect to come out of the Ukrainian Premier League in a long time, if not ever. Um, and it's comfortable for me too because of because his wage totals would likely be really low. I can I can handle. You know, Arsenal going up to sixty-five million or something like that for him. I wouldn't do it personally, but um, you know, eighty-eight million, absolutely not. No, yeah. it's too big. It's there's too much risk involved with that. Um, it becomes a hundred million pound transfer with his wages. It's just not. That's too much money. That's that's more than uh, Liverpool spent spent on Gakpo. Yeah, I mean, that's they gave him a big wage. That's approaching what they did with Darwin Nunez, right? They are actually probably more than that. And I, yeah. and I don't think that we'd expect Mujerk to have that same impact as Nunez right away. To me, like my line was yeah more in that 40 to 50 guaranteed. I would be totally fine with lots of add-ons. And I think that's something that, you know, you know, really kind of like maybe maybe there's some easy ones to get like you know like after you know 20 starts or after 30 starts you know you have a, a big lump sum kind of payments that kind of go out but it, just like all of that money guaranteed on like really like how many minutes i think he's got less than 3,000 senior minutes total or right around 3,000 senior minutes total less than 30 starts total yeah. as a senior and like last summer I think there was close to feed agreed at like 25 million pounds. And so has this thousand minute sample really justified him quadrupling his worth? No. To me, no, it hasn't. And I think that's just too much risk. It's, it's way too much. Uh, You don't, you don't only pay, you don't only buy a player for potential. You need to have some level of provenness. Um, you know, I was I just randomly pulled this up. As much as we dislike the player, and as easy as it is to see now that 
they probably, I mean, it was easy to see when they closed the deal. They paid way too much for Anthony. Um, but Anthony's, get this, Anthony in the Champions League at Ajax, Champions League only, um, made 17 starts. Just in the Champions League. With Mikhailo Mudrik, we're talking about in like maybe double that in all competitions. If senior yeah, he's only had six Champions League starts, I think, right? Something about that. Something, six, something like that. Yeah, but I mean, 33... I think it's the number of total starts in all competitions. Ajax put Anthony out there for half that just in the Champions League alone. He start, he was a starter there for three or four seasons. That's a higher league, and that is a much, much, much bigger uh, track and much record. better team, right? Yeah, I think the... And much uh, better yeah. team and much better competition. And you and I would both say that's that's also a much... Just a, a way huger sample. Um, inter- if, you were, if you were looking at it from just like a statistical probability point of view. Um, the, the longer you repeat uh, results, the longer amount of time you do that, the more the higher the probability is that those results will continue uh, going forward. That's why we like to have the big sample size. That's why we don't like to have a three-game sample. Even if it was amazing, um, if a guy does that over 15, 20, 25 games, you're like, okay, that feels more like it, it can be repeatable. Exactly. And that's right. why we care about the track record. That's exactly why you tear out the track record because, it, yeah, it, it saves you from making mistake based on, you know, hot form. We've all seen players, you know, play out of their minds for, you know, even five, ten games. Like, you've seen that. And, you know, then they go into back to their true talent level. So, like, trying to determine the true talent level of Mudrik is the, the ultimate, you know, that's the $100 million or 100 million pound question. Where is it actually at? Um, but I think you want to, can I, oh, you wanna can I, can I, I've got I've got a great example a great example of small sample um, that Arsenal people can appreciate. Do you remember two years ago when Joe Willock went on loan to Newcastle? Do you remember how many consecutive Premier League games he scored in? Was that like eight? It was eight. Do you know how many? So so he he did that he did that he is he is in the seasons since then he's been there for two seasons since then he started forty games. Do you know how many goals he has scored since? I'm gonna take a guess at four. He scored four goals. Oh, that's exactly God. right. That is that is like one of the best small sample uh, examples that you can point to. And Arsenal people, I mean, we saw that firsthand. He scored every single game. Some people were like, we got to keep him. He's scoring all these goals. He scored four cents. Granite Xhaka has scored more this season than Joe Willick has scored since going permanent to Newcastle. So just look at it that way. Yep. All right. The next on my list is talking a little Zhao Felix. So this one seems to be heating up a little bit. I know you already poo-pooed it and you know ruined it for everybody. Yeah. Um, but may- maybe, maybe, maybe it's happening. Is it? Is it going to? Well, and then, you know, to be fair, to be fair, one thing that I did not discuss in my Adam ruins everything article on him was the the possibility that Atletico would just let him leave on a yeah. loan with. With uh, you know, no kind of um, obligation. Or- obligation. Um, to me, I know some people feel differently, but to me, this is not uh, an image rehab. I don't think he needs image rehab at all. He just had a great World Cup. He's been one of the most highly rated attacking players outside of England for multiple years. I think people who follow La Liga know what's going on there. Um, Diego Simeone just does not play a style that an attacking player should want to play. I have no idea why he went there in the first place. Ridiculous well, decision. I mean, Stupid decision. Um, yeah, he made a lot of money off of it. <laughs> That's probably the reason, right? But it's been terrible for his career. It's been terrible for his stats. I mean, he's starting like 15 to 20 games every season since he moved there because him and the coach just do not like each other. 
Um, he's clearly a talented guy. I think in four starts for Portugal in the World Cup, I think he had three goal involvements. Like, he looked bright there, and and people can see the talent. So, you know, it's just uh, he needs a, he needs a change of scenery. Yeah, and I think, you know, you kind of look at his talent overall, and, like, even in a system where he doesn't necessarily fit, he has still put up really solid numbers, um, yeah. playing all the long, you know, the attacking line. I think if there's one thing that makes me incredibly interested, it is that, right? He's not really a striker. He's a lot more of a, a second striker, um, mm-hmm. but that kind of makes it so he could be somebody who plays on the right. He could be somebody who plays on the left in a pinch. I think he could be a striker. He could play even in that left eight position if we needed it to be able to do that. So it's just like if we're looking for a guy on a short term, not necessarily a huge commitment kind of thing. I think the the loan fees that are being talked about are probably a little bit crazy. And I think that's something that's going to be a, a huge stumbling block. But if that is something that we're going to do, he kind of makes sense. There is obviously the questions of can he come in right away and play like that's a question for everybody that's moving to different leagues even you know moving between teams like that's not always necessarily easy to hit the ground running especially in a, a system like this but I, I think that if there's going to be a guy that you're going to bet on it's going to be somebody with his talent level to be able to do it and if we need somebody to come off the bench and you know try to do something i, I would would love to have him you know as an option yeah, I mean, it would be uh, kind of the definition of like a luxurious type of signing. Um, my whole, the whole point I was trying to make with the article with him was that I, I have a really hard time seeing him fit in in the long term. Um, just, you know, is he gets, I think he makes the third most or fourth most at, at Atletico Madrid. He's only 23. So that's pretty crazy that, you know, Jan Oblak and um, Koke are the only guys making more money than him. He makes more money than Griezmann, for example. Um, so, you know, it's like, well, where do you, where do you fit that in? How do you, how do you justify that? 280 million, 280,000 euros a week. So 14.5 million euros a year right now. So yeah, he's a a very, very highly paid player. I mean, that's, that's more than we're trying to give, um, extensions to Saka and Martinelli for. And I think that you could at least make an argument that those players are proven at a higher level. Um, so it's it's an interesting fit long term, but hey, we've got this we've got this false nine kind of striker who's injured. Um, whether we want to move Martinelli central or or uh, Felix himself, um, he, he can fit in. He's got the technical profile that I think Mikel Arteta would really like. Uh, it's certainly like you you look at that smooth kind of flowing um, pass and move type of offense, uh, and I think you know you you see him working in that. I, I don't think that the, the adaptation period would be that long. La Liga is probably about as close as you can get to the Premier League without being the Premier League um, in terms of like the talent level. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. The, I mean, nobody's going to pay the 20 million pounds for him to be there for six months, but if they can get that down... That'd be really yeah, interesting. If it's more like ten, or if it's twenty million, and like you know, we pay only half the wages, or something like that. I think there's a there's a deal to be had there, but I think this is one that goes all the way till the end, and you got to wait for you know Atleti to kind of blink on their demands. Um, I think it'll also depend on you know maybe what Manchester United do because maybe they do something stupid again. You can never cancel that out. You yeah, you can never you can never count on them not to be stupid. That's for sure. All right. Let's do a couple quick hits here on some some last people that are here. Uh, Ferran Torres, I know you've also written about him. So he was a guy that's always intrigued me. He's got the, the Manchester City pedigree. So he's worked with Arteta in the past. But there's questions there. 
I mean, I have questions. I definitely yeah. have questions. Um, he he started off kind of being like this this uh, winger for Valencia who had this this great profile. He's this great dribbler. Um, and, you know, maybe not so much a scorer. Then he goes to Manchester City. Uh, he's playing at a, at a higher level. Uh, his dribbling numbers fall way off. Um, it turns out he doesn't want to even be in England. He wants to go to Spain. So he's only at Manchester City for like a calendar year. Um, yeah, great sale. He played I mean, a little bit more central at Manchester City. So maybe that's a little bit of whether the, the dribbles went down a bit. But still, yeah, that was a yeah. concerning thing to see. Yeah, Pep, Pep moved into central because he didn't have a striker. Um, so he did, he did play... Um, most of his first season at City, he was mostly a right wing. Uh, by the end of Manchester City, he was playing more at striker, including that that five nil game last season where Xhaka got sent off. He had a brace in that one, um, but that was like his last game, one of his last games with the club before they finally sold him in Bar- to Barca in January. And for me, since he's been at Barca, he has not been somebody that I'm very excited about. He's still not dribbling well, and he is playing more of a wing role there. Um, you know, watching him at the World Cup, I thought he was really bad, to be honest. Uh, I thought he yeah, was... Yeah, of all of Spain's players, like, he was one that probably least impressed me. Yeah, if you look at the game that they got eliminated against uh, Morocco in, um, they brought in brought on Nico Williams for him late in the second half, and I thought the attack suddenly looked way better. <laughs> so, um, you know, and part of, part of that was that he couldn't beat a man at the World Cup. Um, the stat I think I put in the... Maybe I didn't put it in the article, but I think he was like one for nine dribbling in four games in the world cup. I mean, he like, can he beat a man anymore? Because if not, um, is he really a long-term option on the wing? So all of that, all the performance stuff aside, he's already left England once. Cause he was unhappy. Is that really the guy you want to try to bring back? I mean, for me, not for 40 million pounds. So that's my question with him. Yeah. I think that I have similar ones, right? It's, it's just, it, he's kind of a tweener. He doesn't really necessarily have a position that he has um i think there's still some questions about all right he's now kind of washed out at two top clubs that he couldn't really necessarily make his his mark at which you know kind of is a little bit unfair right he's you know going up against some of the best players in the world right he's he's trying to you know disenthrone you know uzman Dunbele at barcelona right now but it's it's still right he can't do it and yeah those kinds of things um i think the only thing that might be kind of a benefit is you know Barcelona might be desperate to move, so you know maybe you can get a discount there. But I don't think, yeah, you know, again, Barcelona is kind of irrational in some of their demands that they make on players. And, you know, I would take him for a discount. Out. Yeah, I would, a huge I would discount. I would certainly take a flyer on you know trying to rehabilitate him. Definitely not paying you know the market rate. And any listeners who um, who associate him with Mikel Arteta, just be aware that him and Arteta did not overlap at Manchester City. Oh, despite, they didn't overlap at all. Despite what you might think, Arteta left um, in, what was it, November 19, uh, and Torres came so in the following in, summer. Yep, okay, thank you. Yeah, here's a little, some quick fact check. Common misconceptions. Just because he played for City does not mean he played for Arteta. Yep. All right, uh, last one on my, my quick hits here is, uh, so Brendan Rodgers is basically trying to, to clean house for all of their almost out-of-contract players, so that is ri- uh, raising the question of Yuri Tielemans again. Um, would you take Tielemans in the January window here if, you know, if there's a, a, a deal to be made here? I mean, I have, I have questions about Tielemans, too. I want to know... Lots of questions about Tielemans, but yes. I, <laughs> I, I am a well... Uh, uh, I am not shy about... Um, advertising my my dislike of Tielemans. Um I am I am a pl- I am a person who, uh, if a player has one technical thing that they do really well, 
um, that dazzles people, but the rest of the game is subpar. Um, I will not like that player. And I, for me, Telemans, like the final ball, wonderful, great, like really, really good. Scores some really, really phenomenal goals. Um, he's a good ball progressor, so I guess that's that's two skills. But for me, uh, I think Arsenal need a better player off the ball. I just don't, you know, he's, is he 25 now? He's been around he's, for a he's really long time. His prime. He's been around for a really long time. I do not believe that old dogs can learn new tricks, frankly. So um, I think he is what he is at this point. He's a good player. Uh, if Leicester are going are gonna to give him away for a song, sure, like that's fine. But one of the things that we've heard about him is that he wants a lot a lot of money. I don't know if that's true, but I have heard that. Um, more than Granite. Granite Jack only makes 125,000 pounds a week. Um, so something to consider. If he wants more than that, I, I don't know. I don't think he takes Jacka's job. I really don't. I think Jacka's better. Yeah, I'm a, a Tielemans truther, I guess, that, that I do like him and being able to do things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I, I'm blind to what I've, I've seen from him, right? Yeah, some of the defensive work, um, being able to kind of just check out too often, I think is a, a concern. But, I mean, mm-hmm. he does have a, a good stats profile, and if we're going to try to have a, a little bit bigger of a squad next year, I can see where it makes sense. He kind of fits in with the the age just being right. It's again, like it's the number of stuff have to, to work out. I don't think you bring him in as a starter type necessarily. I would love if we're going to, like I said at the beginning of the thing, if we're going to make a, a big move, especially at a, an eight type position, it's got to be better than Jacka. And I think Tielemans and Jacka, you know, they have different strengths, but I think overall quality wise, they're probably about on par, right? They're going to, you know, have different kind of qualities to each other, but I, I don't necessarily would say one of them is head and shoulders above the other to like be able to say like, this is the guy no. who's coming in. I don't think so either. And I think, I think one thing that sometimes people overlook is the, the chemistry factor. Um, you know, as stats guys, you and I probably, right. yeah, you talk about why a, a transfer can fail. It just could be the, the chemistry. I mean, we, we know that Granite Jacka is, maybe the most beloved player among the among his teammates in that dressing room. Um, I call him the shadow the captain, captain. Even though he's not the captain. Yeah, I mean, he's the vice captain, but he's really the captain. He's the most experienced player on the team, and I think that I just think that they love him. And why would you replace him with anybody uh, who was not an obvious upgrade? Yep. All right. Um, let's go into a little bit before we go. I want to talk finally uh, North London Derby, but uh, there is something that's kind of come up, and maybe this is all driven by Richard Keyes, but it's the the narrative around Mikel Arteta's sideline antics. Like this seems like such the dumb story. Like, do you think this is actually a problem, or is this something that like he's being picked out for just I don't know, just to pick on something for Mikel Arteta? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I admit that I do not do a lot of, you know, uh, ethnographic studies on the other (laughs) fan bases, but I just, I feel like, I feel like this is just a guy knowing um, which fan base he can get a rise out of. Um, You know, Arsenal, Arsenal get clicks. Arsenal and probably Manchester United, you'll get clicks if you write about that. Um, And I think he's just picking on Arteta for no reason. I mean, you know, you... I don't know, spend 10 minutes on Twitter and you can see all the videos of Pep and, and uh, Jurgen yeah, Klopp. Or, or Joe so, Mourinho or even Conte, right? You know, Conte got in a freaking fight with Thomas Tuchel earlier this year. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's not doing anything that anyone hasn't already done. So I think, I think it really is just a way to make, get clicks. And, you know, you QT these articles, you, you're still giving them traffic. So 
Yeah. To me, like, this is something that is, like, totally driven by narrative, right? If Arsenal actually do win, maybe it's, oh, Mikel Arteta's, you know, sideline antics, you know, help, you know, give us passion, right? It's, that was the, the story, like, when he got in the fight with Klopp, like, oh, that's what spurred them to come back and be able to do it. And it's like, it's only a problem, like, if he doesn't, you know, if Arsenal don't get the result. Or it's like, the yeah. other option is there, too. It's like, oh, he sits on his hands and he doesn't do anything. And it's like, why isn't he trying to get the most out of his players? It's like, I don't know, it's like the dumbest kind of stuff, like, where it's all driven by whatever the outcome is. Like, you can yeah. change the the story to fit whatever you know thing that you want to be able to say yeah results-based analysis we call that yep all right i think that's enough about that um let's go into a quick north london derby there's no uh, premier league this weekend with a fa yeah. cup so uh we got a north london derby coming up is it next monday is it on the the sixth on the 16th or i think it's the 15th playing? so sunday the 15th. right we're the the late sunday match uh we have we play on uh monday or the fa cup right yeah, and I okay. I hate uh, I hate being the last match of the weekend. By the way, it just sucks. But um, yeah, I mean this is good. This is an interesting. You know, speaking of like squad depth and injury problems and things like that, Harry Kane did did not pick up that yellow card that so many people were hoping. So he'll be there. Um, but you you know you they have questions with health. They've got Benton Coor. I think he's been dealing with an injury, um, and then obviously Kulisevsky. So. It's going to be um, interesting to see who is back uh, healthy for that one. I, you know, with our luck, they will be full strength. Um, I mean, obviously, they just beat the pants off Crystal Palace, who just looked terrible um, in that game. But um, you know, the first you result went really like, well. That first half, like Spurs, looked like total Dull. dog crap. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, so so this is this is like it's really interesting when they match up. Um, I feel like it's going to be all about. Arsenal actually taking advantage of the opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there weren't a lot against Newcastle, but there were a couple where you said, where you would say, you know what? Um, regardless of the penalty shouts and everything, if they had just put that one away, um, would have been a very different game from that point on. So, yeah, you're right. If, like if they, had, if Arsenal score in that opening ten minutes, I think this is something that you know they go two nil, almost like guaranteed. I, I do believe that. I think that was mm-hmm. set up to be very similar to the Brighton match, like get that early goal and then you're kind of able to you know cruise a little bit yeah exactly so if i for me it's going to be you know if we get to 30 40 minutes arsenal have had two or three let offs kind of where they've they have a chance and and you know odegaard or Enkedia or sack or martinelli just like don't hit the shot um that's where spurs are going to nick one so you know if it's if it's nil nil at the half like i'm not going to feel great about that but, um, you know, Arsenal, one thing that I will say is even even this season when the form has been less exciting, uh, this the way that they play is just so much more um, dominant and positive. Um, even at their worst, like, you know, Newcastle tried to press. Um, and, you know, the people, the commentators talked about it a number of times. Like, Arsenal just looked at home playing out of the press. Like, it just... It looked relatively easy most of the game. So, um, you know, they just... Yeah, right? So, like, they had to, like, completely change their plan. Because I do think that they didn't necessarily set out to sit deep. Like, they wanted to come and play. And then they're mm-hmm. like, uh-oh, we can't come play. Yeah. Yeah, we need to we need to park the bus here. So, um, you know, that's, that's exactly what Spurs want to do, even in a normal game. Even against, like, Nottingham Forest, they're going to park the bus. So, um you know, it's just an interesting tactical matchup, and that's that's why for me it's just going to be who 
who scores the goal, that's not that great of a chance. That's probably who's going to win. In unfortunately yeah, uh, for us, it's and, usually Harry Kane. <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah, this is one of the things that kind of is like I was looking at. It's like how do they keep getting away with this? And it's like, oh, it's Harry Kane. Like he's what on fifteen goals, and we're not even halfway through the season. It's like, I mean, yeah, like that that an elite striker can carry you and cover up a lot of flaws because yeah, like this team is not good. They give up uh, like the, I think it's, I don't have to go back and look at, it, but it's like, I think they are especially over the last 10 games. Like they are giving up shots at a almost relegation level. It is just, they're sitting way deep and inviting these shots. Yeah. They're not great shots that they're giving up, but we've all been there in the Unai Emery era where we invited teams to take shots and like, it's a, a good way to get footballed and have sports kind of go against you. you. You shouldn't invite these kinds of things over a season because it will burn you. And you know, I think they've been burnt a few times and that's why they're, you know, kind of sitting where they're at, you know, outside of the, you know, the top four or are they right at the top four. I haven't looked at the, you know, the, the table beyond, you know, the top two in a while to be able to kind of figure out where everything is. And it's like, they're just not a good team. And I think this is something I'll, I'll probably write about for, for next week is a, a more detailed uh, view of them. You got a score prediction for this match? Um, I think, I think it might be, you got, think, you got a vibes. I'm feeling like the vibe I'm feeling is like one, one. I think it might be a draw. I think that there's definitely a goal in it for them, but I, I think that Arsenal might, you know, pip it. I think Arsenal might get 2-0 up um, and then, you know, be able to kind of turn off and maybe they, they get like their, their classic penalty that they always get against us yeah. to, to be able to kind of get one back. But I, I think we do win this one. I think we were able to, to, to get it and, you know, be able to keep our lead. So... Yeah, thank you, Adam. This has been wonderful. This has been the the inaugural edition of the Canon Stats podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, we'll, we'll take a, a bit of a break because I'm on vacation next week, but I think we'll be back the, the week after that and we'll have a, a fun, interesting conversation. So Adam, thank you so much. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be talking about, what would that be, like a 20? No, that'd be 17 point gap on Spurs at that point if we win. No, it'd be 14. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to get a magic numbers update after that one to be able to, to kind of figure out where we're at. I'll post it. I'll post after the last game every week. That'll be my goal. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye.